there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Let's take the Word of God, shall we, and go back to the same book we were in earlier this Lord's Day. Turn to the book of Ephesians with me again. How many of you started reading in Ephesians today between the morning meeting and tonight? Would you raise your hand? Anybody here? Yeah, good. I got a couple of, just a couple of overachievers among us. That's good. I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't know where you're reading right now in Scripture. I hope you're reading somewhere in Scripture. How many of you try to read something in God's Word every day? Good. On the count of three, shout out where you're reading. One, two, three. That's a good place, wherever you said. All right, if it's in the Bible, it's wonderful. I hope you don't use the method the fellow used where he just let his Bible fall open, put his finger on a verse, and that was the spot. Uh, occasionally, I've done that and to some profit, but as a general rule, I think systematically going through portions of Scripture, praying away through the Bible is the best way to do it. In fact, that is really why I'm preaching out of Ephesians this week, because this is devotionally where I've been living the last couple of weeks. And as I've gone through it again, yet again, seeing fresh things, and oh, I tell you, the Word of God's amazing, isn't it? You never exhaust the unsearchable wisdom of our great God. And so, wherever you're reading in Scripture, add this to it this week. Try to read and pray your way through the book of Ephesians. And uh, as you do, I'm convinced of this, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to really deal with you about His fullness in your life. Now, just, just for fun, I want you to take a pen out. Would everybody get a pen in hand, something that you can mark in your Bible with? And before I bring you to our text tonight, I'd like you to mark every occasion in this little five-chapter book where we have God's fullness because it is one of the divine emphases. Look in Ephesians 1 and verse number 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That phrase ought to mean something to you because you remember what he wrote in Galatians that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. In other words, the first coming of Christ was in the fullness of time and the second coming of Christ will be in the fullness of time. I promise you this, I promise you this, the Lord will be right on time. I don't know what time that's going to be. He's not on my schedule. He's on his own schedule. But it will be in the fullness of time. And then mark at the end of chapter 1 this phrase we studied earlier today, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. It's a reference to the fullness of Christ who is both full and the filler. I come over now to chapter 3. At the end of verse number 19, we'll come back to this one in just a moment, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So you have the fullness of time and the fullness of Christ and now the fullness of God. And then come to chapter 4 and verse number 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. And look at Ephesians 4 verse 10. That he might fill all things. In other words, he's the completer. He's the one that makes everything whole. And then look at verse 13 of chapter 4. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God 
unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We'll come full circle at the end of our meeting back to this portion of Scripture to show you how the fullness of Christ completes the church and makes it a full church. And then, arguably the most famous of the references, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18. We are to be filled with the Spirit. So you have the fullness of time and the fullness of Christ and the fullness of God and the fullness of the church and the fullness of the Spirit. You almost get the idea the Lord's trying to tell us something, don't you? That in these short few pages, repeatedly, the Holy Spirit tells Paul, write this down, use this word, use this expression. Now before we read and study our text tonight, how many of you would like to live a full life? Did you know that is not measured the way most people measure it. Most people say, oh, that man, he lived a long time. He had a full life. Friends, you can live a long time being an empty person. And I know some people who lived a short time and had very full lives. It's not measured by how much you have. It's not measured by what you accomplish. It is measured by the fullness of God in your life. And I want to say to you tonight, I'm, I'm testifying before I'm preaching. This is what I want for my life. Would you pray this for me? I want my life to be so full of God that it overflows out of my life and anybody that gets near me gets some of the overflow, not of me, but of him. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? I really think that's what the psalmist meant in Psalm 1 when he said, I shall not want, and then he said, my cup runneth over. Look, the outflow comes from the fullness of God in your life. And so with that in mind, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. And I bring you to one of the great prayers of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever paid much attention to the recorded prayers in Scripture, the inspired prayers of the Spirit, but they're a wonderful template for all of our praying. And tonight we're going to study one of them. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. At the end of this Lord's Day, the end of this service, we're going to have an old-fashioned prayer meeting, and we're going to take this prayer, and we're going to pray this prayer for ourselves and for one another. So get your pen handy so you can mark the prayer requests because they're all found in the prayer here. Let's begin in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end, and all God's people said, Amen. I hope you've marked in verse 19 that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. We begin with the fullness of Christ because everything God does begins with Christ. 
You want to know God? Can't know God by trying to know God. You come to know God by coming to know Christ. So the fullness of God must begin with the fullness of Christ. You, you can't get to this portion of Scripture till you go through chapter 1. It's like the portal. Look, please. You've got to come by the way of the cross. You've got you to come to the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus is the one who brings you to God. But by the time you get to this chapter, it is the Lord's people. How many of the Lord's people are gathered here tonight? Wave at me, would you please? You know the Lord is your Savior. You know what that means? It means not just that we're gathered here tonight. It means we're going to spend all eternity together. Don't you think that's an exciting prospect? That we're going to literally go to the Father's house together. But the glory, the glory of the Christian life is that you can actually come to the Father's house tonight. We talk about the Father's house as being heaven someday, and indeed it is. We'll be there someday ourselves. But tonight in prayer, we can all come into the family room of heaven. Do you know what the family room of heaven is? It is prayer. It is the one place where all of us have access to the heavenly Father. I said this morning that this world is an empty place. And the longer I live and the more I see, the emptier it seems to be. And sin... Sin drains the life out of you. You ever see somebody after sin has taken its toll? Remember, when, when lust finishes, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it finishes, it bringeth forth what? Death. It just it drains the life out of you. It just, just sucks you dry. It takes every good thing out of your soul. And you look at a family that started off with such promise, and then sin gets in and disrupts everything, and it's a shell of what it should have been. You, you look at a person and the marks of sin on their body when sin has taken its toll. It's grievous to see how sin just drains the life out of a person. But don't miss this. The Lord does the exact opposite of that. The world and sin takes from a man. The Lord always gives to a man. And what does he give? He gives his great fullness. I must tell you that many, many days I have come to the end of me. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, by the way, because the end of you is the beginning of him. But when you get to the end of your resources, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that the Lord's well never runs dry. That the Lord's pantry is never bare. That there is never a day that our God is not perennially fresh. He is the great God of much more. He is the God of abundance who wants us to live abounding lives through Him. He's inexhaustible. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is unsearchable. You can go and go and go and go. You can draw and draw and draw and draw and pray and pray and pray and pray and you never will find that the Lord's resources ever diminish in one bit because our God is the God of all fullness. And yet the great tragedy is that so many of the Lord's people live half-empty lives when the Lord has made a way for us to be full in Him. And how does it happen? It happens through prayer. Before we walk through the prayer, look how it begins. In verse number 14, he says, for this cause. Now that makes you back up to the previous verse. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Uh, they were tempted to be a little overwhelmed. Aren't we living in a day right now where people are tempted to be overwhelmed? Let me tell you what to do with your overwhelming circumstance. Bring it to God in prayer. When you are tempted to, to say, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what this world's coming to. I'll tell you what to do. At that moment, you turn all of that frustration and exasperation, all of that disappointment into prayer. God has a complaint department. And it's not social media either. Did you know that? 
No, the Lord's complaint department is prayer. And so he said, here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to pray together. Look at verse number 14. And notice the position of his prayer. He said, I bow my knees. Can you see the old man? Look at, look at the aged apostle getting down on his knees. Mm. Scars on him. and Maybe not as easy to get down and get back up again as it used to be. Anybody else living that dream? And yet, can you see the aged apostle? He said, I just want you to know I'm, I'm down here on my knees right now praying for you. The, the, the position reveals the humility of of his prayer. Oh, I love this. Even the Apostle Paul, the, the, the greatest Christian that ever lived, did not come into the Lord's presence on his own merit. He came to the mercy of the Lord Jesus. He said, I'm humbling myself before Almighty God. In Paul's day, that was really the etiquette. If you came into the presence of royalty, you came into the king's court, you got down, you bent a knee in the presence of the king. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, come on now, we're coming to the throne room and we're going to kneel in the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But then, look at it please. He said, the king, verse number 14, is not just my king, praise God, he is my father. Don't you know it's a good thing when your father's the king? Because you have access, you see, to the royal bounty. You have access to all the riches of the kingdom of almighty God. And so you have the position of it. Keep reading. For this cause I bow my knees unto, look at the direction of our prayer, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The direction of prayer is it's Godward. It is, it is to the Lord alone who can meet this need. You know, years ago the Lord taught me something even about public prayer. How many of you have ever been called on to lead in prayer publicly? Anybody? Did you know one of the temptations in public prayer is that you can, in your public prayer, get so concerned about the people that are listening to you, you really are not praying, you're giving a religious speech. Ask me how I know that. Because it's very easy to pray for them and not for Him. But here's what I've discovered. When I really get myself spiritually in tune with the Lord, I'm not praying to be heard of men or commended of people. I'm praying for one purpose. I want to enter into God's presence and I want to get my prayer answered in heaven. That's what he's saying here. He said, I'm getting down on my knees and I'm coming to the palace of the king. I'm coming to the Father's throne for you. And look at verse number 15. I love this. He said, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This is a family prayer. You've got to be a child of God to pray this prayer. You've got to be a child of God to get this prayer answered. So you've got the position of prayer and the direction of prayer. And then he begins the petition of prayer. And that's what I want you to see. We're going to walk through his prayer request. And I want to point this out before I give you the list and have you write them down. They are all spiritual. Let that sink in just a minute. I'm in a lot of prayer meetings. And, and look, I'm for praying for healing for bodies. How many of you believe God still heals? Yes? I'm for praying for that. I'm for praying for financial needs. How I many of you have ever in your whole life had a financial need, had to trust God and seen the Lord provide? All right, so you know that's an important thing. I'm for praying for, for temporal things and material things and physical things. But please don't miss this. When we are most in tune with heaven, our greatest and highest prayers are not for now. They are for the things that will never end. And the prayers of Paul are spiritual in nature. You know, Pastor, I'm convinced of this. If we spent more of our prayer meetings praying not for things from God, but praying for God himself, I think we'd see the Lord and all the other things he has to add unto us. 
So let's make this aim our prayer. Lord, we, we just want to know God better. We, we want the fullness of God this week. We're, Lord, we're not asking you to fill this building up. We'd like you to fill the building up, but we're not asking you to fill the building up. What we're asking you, Lord, is would you fill me up? Lord, I, I'm not asking you to fill my bank account. If you do that, I won't argue with you. That's all right. But, Lord, I'm not asking you for that. What I'm asking you, Lord, would you fill my soul up with who God is? Lord, I'm not asking you to fill my life with thrilling events and exploits and, and opportunities. No, I'm asking, Lord, that my life would be so full of, of the glory of God that through my life other people will be drawn to you. This is what it means to pray for the fullness of God. So what does the Lord give us? Well, let's walk through it. Number one, look at verse number 16, that. He would grant you. Aren't you glad our God's the great grantor? Yes, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Number one, write this down, would you please? When you have the fullness of God, the first thing he gives, he fills you with his strength. If you want to pray for something, pray for strength. Now, this is very important because look what kind of strength it is. It is inner strength, not outer strength. Many days I've gotten out of bed, didn't feel good, and prayed for outer strength. Nothing wrong with that. But I want to say to you, whether you're feeling good today or bad today, whether you feel strong today or weak today, every day of your life you need the strength of the Lord that only God can put inside of you. This is not external. This is internal. This is not physical. This is spiritual. Dear Lord, I want you to strengthen me in my inner man. Look at that verse very carefully. He says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. In other words, in, in direct proportion to his strength. Let me tell you about my God. My God is the strongest strong one. El Elyon. He, he is the God who is strong all the time. And, and here's the prayer. Lord, we know you have plenty of strength. So would you put some of your strength inside of me at this moment? Recently, I came to a place in private, just my own personal walk with the Lord, of just a absolute exhaustion and weakness. Now, the reality is we're really all there every day. We just don't all recognize it every day. And every now and then the Lord lets you deal with something and just kind of lets all the air out of your balloon. You ever had that happen? And I sat in a quiet place by myself and said, Lord, I, 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 can't, I can't move forward. I can't speak. I can't, I can't do this. I can't even think. Help me, Lord. And may I just tell you what the Lord did for me? The Lord, by His Spirit out of his own glorious strength, put a fresh strength in my soul. And that has happened over and over and over again. You know, when you're in church, as often as I am, you know, every day's church day to an evangelist, you know. And sometimes I have sat on the front row of a church, Pastor, this sounds awful, but I've sat on the front row of a church and thought, I don't feel like preaching tonight. And don't look at me so pious, because some of you don't feel like coming to church every night, you know. And I did. I just I didn't feel like it mentally, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. I don't feel like it. And you know what I've learned? Very often those end up being some of the sweetest services because at that moment you just have to say to the Lord, Lord, I got nothing. And I think heaven applauds and says, good, we've been waiting on you to get there for a while. Because at that moment of your own weakness, the Lord, according to the riches of His glory, begins to put His own strength in your soul. And how does He do it? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse number 16 again. He does it by His Holy Spirit. It is by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the great connector between heaven and your heart. 
All of the strength and glory and resources of God are in heaven. Can we agree on that? All right, so how does it get from heaven to here? How does it get from, from heaven yonder there into my heart? Only by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And so the first thing we must pray to the God of all fullness is, Lord, fill me with your strength. Then there's a second thing. Um, mark it, please. You have in verse 16 that, and then look how verse 17 begins that. So here's the second one. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So the God of all fullness not only fills you with strength, but number two, he fills you with the presence of Christ. He fills you with Jesus. In fact, that's really what revival is. Revival is when the Lord starts getting out of you everything that doesn't look like Jesus and putting into you everything that does look like Jesus. And there's no shortcut to that. There's no substitute for that. You can't imitate that. You can't, you can't put that on. No, no. The Lord has to work that in you, but the Lord begins to put the very precious presence of Jesus Christ in your heart. Somebody says, but preacher, I'm already saved. Could I remind you he's praying for saved people when he prays this prayer? If I ask you tonight, does the Lord dwell in your heart? Will every saved person here say, oh, yeah, preacher, I got saved 50 years ago. Well, good. Uh, but the word dwell here is a very interesting word. See, there were two words in Paul's day for dwell. One meant that a stranger had come to visit. In other words, some had, someone had come to spend some time there. The other meant that it was permanent residence. The word that's used here is a word for permanent residence. When the Lord moved into you, he didn't rent, he buy, bought, and he didn't come to move in and out. He moved in to stay. But watch this, please. The idea of the Lord's dwelling, abiding presence in us means that not only does the Lord live in there, but the Lord is at home there, and his presence settles every part of my life. Do you know how the door opens to the Lord? Look at that verse. He comes to dwell in your heart by what? What's that word in your Bible? By what? By faith. Watch this, please. Faith, faith alone opens the door and allows the Lord Jesus to Christ to come in. Wasn't it precious this morning to see those souls come to faith in Christ? Now, you didn't see it this morning. We saw people walk the aisle and, and uh, give testimony and get baptized, and that was wonderful. But you didn't see this this morning. But on the inside, I'm going to tell you what happened. They opened the door, and Jesus stepped in. Faith opens the door. But please don't miss this. Faith is not just how you get saved and Christ comes in. An ever-increasing and growing faith is the means by which the Lord settles your heart more and more all through this earthly journey. In other words, the Lord doesn't just want you to be saved for heaven someday. The Lord wants you to know his near presence today. So when we're praying for the fullness of God, what are we praying for? Lord, put your strength in this old weak vessel. And Lord, would you come near this sinner and let the presence and beauty and fragrance and grace of Jesus be so real in my life that I'm living consciously in your presence. The fullness of God is the fullness of Christ's presence. It was the third one. Mark it again in verse number 17, that. Here's the third, that. Ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Number three, the fullness of God not only fills you with strength and fills you with Jesus, but thirdly, it fills you with love. Not some shallow, sentimental kind of love. Not some touchy-feely kind of thing. This is the divine love. The mighty, awesome love of God. 
He uses two illustrations for it. Look at verse number 17. He says, you're rooted and you're grounded. One is the word of the biologist and the other is the word of the builder. Rooted was a word for trees that put down roots into something so that they could draw from it. Grounded was the word of the construction man who laid the foundation before he tried to build the house. Oh, this is, this is wonderful because both illustrations have a great application for us. Let me tell you what the love of God is. The love of God is that which you go down deeper and deeper and deeper into. And the deeper you go into the love of God, the more of the very life-giving power of God you draw into your soul. The fruit of the Spirit is what? First thing on the list is love. So the more you grow in your knowledge of God, the more you experience the fullness of God, the more taken you will be with the love of Almighty God. When people are hateful and harsh, they reveal that they are not maturing spiritually. When people are ugly and unkind, when they're critics and cynics, you know what they reveal? They reveal that they don't have their roots down very deep into the love of God. See, because look, church, I know it's easy as we age over time and we get knocked around by life and, you know, sucker punched by circumstance and all that kind of thing. It's easy to get hard and, and to get a little indifferent and to get cold. But I want you to know, if you'll go deeper and deeper into God, the Lord will make you not more sour as you age. He will make you sweeter as you age. Because you'll be drawing from the love of God and the beautiful fragrance of that love and the fruit of that love will be borne out through your life. And then, look at it, he said you'll be grounded in it. So the fruit tree is a picture of life, but the, the foundation of the building is a picture of stability. This is fascinating to me. So I'm growing and I'm staying at the same time. I'm going forward with the Lord and maturing in God, and at the very same moment, I'm fixed and settled and secure and not changing. This is, this is what the love of God did. It stabilizes your life and helps you mature and grow at the same time. It changes what ought to be changed in you, and it stays, keeps the same in you what ought to stay the same in you. This is the work of God in us when we begin to live in all of His fullness. And then, He not only gives us two illustrations, He gives us four dimensions. Look at verse number 18. He said, you're going to be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Mark those four words in your Bible, would you please? Because usually when you talk about dimensions, you talk about three dimensions. But God's greater than all. So he gives four dimensions here. Look at the list. He said, there's the breadth. What's the breadth of the love of God? It covers all of my sin. Past, present, and future. The breadth of the love of God reaches to, to the religious scribes and Pharisees and reaches to the harlots and the tax collectors. I love this. The love of God is so broad it reaches to a thief that repents and it reaches at the same time to the man who just casts the same in the teeth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It reaches to all people. John 3.16 is positioned between the man who, who came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, and the woman who Jesus met in the middle of the day by the well. One of them was a religious sinner and the other was a worldly sinner. But the love of God reaches in both directions. This is the breadth of our God's love. And look at the second dimension. Not only is breadth, but the length. What's the length of the love of God? The Bible says that He loves us with an everlasting love. Oh, revel in this tonight, dear saint. There was never a day God started loving you. Because from eternity past, God has loved you. 
There will never be a day God ever stops loving because God is everlasting. Love's not something He does. Love is who He is. Our God is love. And He loves us with an everlasting love. He could never love you more than He loves you at this moment. And He will never love you any less. He doesn't love you because of something in you. He loves you because of something in Him. This is the length of God's love. Look at the third dimension. He said the breadth and the length and the depth. What is the depth of the love of God? All the way down to the cross. You want to see the depth of God's love? You want to see the deep end of the pool? Look at Calvary. Look at Jesus hanging on that cross saying, I love you this much. This is the depth of His love for hell-deserving sinners. And then what of the height of His love? Oh, that lifts you all the way to heaven, you see. So you got the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. You know what that is? That's divine geometry. That's what that is, divine geometry. Anybody in this room good at geometry? Anybody? On a single hand, bless our hearts. How many of you are like me and you didn't do so well in geometry? Would you raise your hand? Avoid it at all costs. That's right. Well, this is, this is divine geometry, so don't be scared of this. This is beautiful and wonderful. You know what it shows you? It shows you the measurable and immeasurable love of our great God. And we can measure its work in our life, but you can never measure the, the extent of it because the broader you go, it's there. The higher you go, it's there. The deeper you go, it's there. The longer you go, it's there. Fast forward a thousand years from tonight, and God's love will still be as perfect and full and wonderful as it is at this moment, as it always has been. Why? Because this is who our God is. He's the God of perfect love. And the more you come to know God in His fullness, the more you come to know the love of that great God. Neil Moody, of course, mightily used of God, was preaching in, in England long ago, and a young man by the name of Henry Morehouse came to have a conversation with him. He was just a young minister, a young preacher. And he asked Mr. Moody, he said, Mr. Moody, if I ever make it to the United States, if I ever get to Chicago, would you let me preach in your church? And Moody said, of course. And Moody later said he thought in the back of his mind, this boy will never make it to the United States. I don't have to worry about this. Yes, I'll let you preach. Sometime passed and more house showed up in Chicago. <laughs> Moody was on his way out of town and, and uh, Moody said to the men of the church, he said, I'm going to be gone, but this young preacher is going to preach. And uh, he said, I'll be back in a few days. Moody was away in meetings and he came back and when he came home, he came to his house and he said to his wife, how, how have the meetings gone? She said, oh, they're wonderful, best they've ever been. That's not what a preacher wants to hear when he's been gone, you know. And she, he, said, uh, he said, that young preacher. And she said, yes, but it's not the preacher. She said, it's what he's been talking about. He said, what's he been preaching on? She said, John 3.16. He said, well, that's good, good, wonderful gospel text. What else? She said, that's all. Meeting had gone on for several nights, and he said, You're, you mean to tell me that every night that boy has preached on John 3.16? She, she wept, and she said, Dwight, she said, not only has he preached on John 3.16 every night, but every night it's been fresh. She said, every night it's like we open the Bible, and we just see more of God's love for us. And she said, there, it's like there's no end to it. Moody said, i got to hear this for myself. He went to his own church that night to the meeting. When he walked in, young Henry Morehouse said, Oh, Mr. Moody, I'm glad you're back. You preach tonight. This is your pulpit. You preach tonight. And Moody said, No, I'm here to hear you preach. And Dale Moody said he sat on the front row that night. Ironically, above the pulpit were the words, God is love. Moody said before that night, he said, When I preached 
on sin. I preached on sin with a harshness. When I, when I preached to sinners and talked about hell, he said, I preached on it with a harshness. He said, I preached that God was love, but there was none of that love really in me. And he said, that night, he said, I heard a young minister, a humble young man, walk to the pulpit and apologize to the people. He said to them, folks, I'm sorry. I've searched all day today for a different text to preach tonight. But I can find no text better than John 3, verse 16. He said, in fact, I think if I had a ladder and I set it up to heaven and I could climb all the way to heaven tonight and say to that great herald, Gabriel, Gabriel, what shall we say about the love of God? He said, I think Gabriel would say, there's nothing any better to say than God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And D.O. Moody said, I sat on the front row of my own church that night and listened to that young minister talk about the love of God in a way I had never heard. And Moody said, I sat there and cried like a child. He said, because that night I got a glimpse of the love of God. And he said, my own life and ministry was never the same again. Do you understand? The love of God isn't a Sunday school song. The love of God isn't something we just teach boys and girls in the class. The love of God is not just for the new believers and entry-level Christianity. We go deeper and deeper and deeper into the love of our great God. You know what I'm praying this week? I'm praying, oh Lord, pull back heaven and pull back my old stony heart and show me more of the fullness of God. And when you have the fullness of God, He fills you with strength and He fills you with Christ and He fills you with the love of God. There's two illustrations and there's four dimensions, but there's, there's one great application, one great intention. Look at verse number 19. Here's what we want to know. We want to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Can I ask you a question? How do you know what you can't know? Everybody look at the wording there. Y'all still believe every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? So would you tell me, please, how you can know something that passes knowledge? May, may I help you with this tonight? He wants us to know experientially what we could never know academically. He wants you to live in the love of God in such a way that it becomes so real to you in a way that no sermon, no lecture, uh, no, no song could ever fully convey to your, to your thinking. This is not up here in your mind. We all give mental assent, nod our heads and say amen that God is love and the Lord loves us and praise God for the love of God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your soul being so bathed with who God is, your, your spirit so saturated with a God who is love that you're captured by it, you're taken by the love of Almighty God. When was the last time you prayed? that for yourself when was the last time you prayed that for someone that you love that they would know more of the love of God for them this is the prayer for the fullness of God could I ask this church something this church has been here a long time I pray for you all often and in part because I love you so much and in part because I pass you so much and your your position right here on this interstate and I, I drive by and sweet memories of this church and uh, sweet times of fellowship here, but I think of you often and I pray for the fullness of God and the blessing of the Lord on this church. But you know, there, there are seasons in churches. There, there are times in churches. There are moments when the Lord is so real and wonderful. And frankly, in the best of churches, there are times when we're going through the motions and biding time and going through the schedule, but something is sorely lacking. Did you know that was not any different in the church in Ephesus? In fact, May I ask this church tonight, is this church right here as it sits spiritually tonight, 
Is it like the Ephesian church under Paul or the Ephesian church under John? Because those were two very different churches in the same place. The believers in Ephesus, when Paul ministered to them, they were, they were growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. They were growing in the love of God. But by the time you get to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, read that sometime. And listen to John sitting on the Isle of Patmos say to the believers in the same church, in the same city, who had received this letter and had studied about the love of God and had the Holy Spirit help them understand it. Suddenly he said to them, now you're, you're faithful, you're faithful, but you've lost something of your first love. You hate sin, but you've lost your love for Jesus. I see it everywhere I go. People don't talk about how bad the world is and fuss about sin all around them. And we hate it, hate it, hate it. We, we don't talk about how bad it all is. But friend, I'm going to tell you, if your hatred for sin is greater than your love for Jesus, something is off kilter here. Because look please, when we have all the fullness of God, we don't just hate what He hates, we love what He loves. It, it doesn't just give you truth, it gives you tenderness. It keeps your soul soft before God. Oh, dear Lord, give me the fullness of God. And then there's a fourth thing. Come to verse number 20. About the time you thought we were done, look how the prayer ends. Now unto him, that's what prayer always brings you to. It brings you to him. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I've marked the last two words there, verse 20, in my Bible, and I've written in the margin, in me. It's one thing to say in us collectively. I want it in me individually. I, I don't want to just have a good meeting here with you all this week. I need God to meet with me. I need to hear the voice of the Lord. Lord, work in me mightily. Verse 20, I think, is one of the most positive verses in the whole Bible. Would you write this down to be filled with the fullness of God? Not only fills you with strength and with Christ and with love. Number four, it fills you with hope. Heaven knows we need a good dose of hope in these days. God's people ought to be hopeful people. Have you lost your hope? <laughs> Let me show you something about our hope. Look at verse number 20. What's the first word of verse 20? This is interesting. What's the first word, church? Now. Somewhere you ought to write down that our hope is a present hope, not a future hope. I hear people talk about our hope out there someday. Well, I do have hope of heaven, and I am looking forward to being with Jesus someday, but I just want to remind all God's people tonight that our hope is not past tense or future tense. It's still present tense because God is in the everlasting now. Wherever we are, God is right here with us. Look at the verse again. Not only is our hope present, not future, our hope's in Christ, not men, because the Bible says unto him that is able. Men aren't able. I'm not able, but the Lord is able. Let's put our hope in the Lord. Maybe if we stopped hoping so much in people and circumstances and ourselves, we wouldn't be nearly as disillusioned as we are. Find your hope in Jesus again. Look at the verse. Our hope is supernatural, not natural, because the Bible says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's a lot of superlatives in that verse, isn't there? Look what the Holy Ghost said. Exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Biggest thing you ever prayed for. Greatest thing you could ever imagine. God says, that's nothing. I can take care of that. I can do more than that. That's hope right there, friend. Look at the way the verse ends. Our hope is internal, not external, because it's the power that worketh, here's the key, in us. Would you just breathe a prayer right now? Before we even start our prayer, would you just breathe a prayer right now and say, Lord, work in me. Lord, put the hope back in me. Put the love back in me. Put the presence of Christ in me in a greater way. Put fresh strength in me. I want the fullness of God in me.
And then look at the verse, verse 21. Here's the last thing. He fills us with purpose. What's the purpose? Unto him. You mark the last two words of verse 20, in us. Mark the first two words of verse 21, unto him. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Can I tell you that our great purpose is one thing. Our purpose is his glory. Is God getting any glory from your life right now? If the Lord did answer your prayers today, would he be glorified in it? Too much of our prayers are for our good and what we think is our good. They ought to be this, Lord, we want your glory. Lord, show yourself. Lord, make yourself known. Lord, let people be drawn to thee. Do you understand this prayer for the fullness of God is not a selfish prayer? It's actually the most spiritual prayer you could pray because it's not for you. It is for God. This is our purpose now, and this is our purpose for eternity. What are we going to do in eternity? We're going to give glory to God. What should we be doing now? We ought to be giving glory to God. And God is most glorified in us when we are full of Him. I've started thinking different about revival meetings. I think the Lord is, is refining some things in my own thinking because early on I would gauge meetings, you know, by the crowd or, or the number of people coming forward to make public decisions and on and on and on. But that's not the way I think now about meetings like this. I come to meetings like this and I pray, Oh God, do such a deep work a deep work in all of us that long after this meeting is done and the preacher's gone and the sermons are forgotten, the work of God will be going on in that place. I love, I really do, I love to see results like we saw this morning. It's encouraging, it's wonderful, but I'm going to tell you what I enjoy more. I enjoy getting a call from a pastor about six months later and saying, you know, God's working here. I just want to let you know the Lord's at work in this place. I was preaching somewhere a few years ago, it was a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday meeting like this, and it was a good meeting. It really was a God, a God blessed meeting. And I finished on Tuesday night and left and went home, and I got a call that after I had left the meeting, the Lord had just kind of sat down on the place. One of the staff members got saved. You know, you know, the Lord's work when the staff members get saved, right? Now, church workers. He stood up and gave a testimony, and other people got under conviction, and the Lord started really stirring in the church, and, and there was just a, this, this real deep move of God in that church. And I, I, I can't explain it to you. It gave me the greatest joy. It gave me the greatest joy. Somebody said, wouldn't you like to have been there? Oh, sure. But I'm going to tell you why it gave me the greatest joy. It gave me the greatest joy because the Lord proved himself and reminded us all that it's not the preacher, it is the Lord. That it's, it's not the, the, the days set aside for the meeting. It is, no, no, Lord, work in me. Work in me. Fill me up with God. Fill me so much with God that whatever's in my life that shouldn't be there gets crowded out and pushed out of my life because of the overflow of God at work in me. Fill me with all the fullness of God. And I don't know, through all these years, how many times in your own personal walk with Jesus You've come to that place of emptiness and needed the Lord's filling again. But I have really good news for you. doesn't matter how many times you've come. Every time you come, you're going to find out God's as full as he's always been. Her name was Annie Johnson. She would later take the name Flint because that was her adopted parents, Annie Johnson Flint. She was born on Christmas Eve. You'd think that had been a very happy occasion, but she was born into a pitiful situation and a matter of time, her mother died, and then her father died. And she was left without parents. And it was awful. 
another kind couple, Christian people, who would give her the gospel, adopted her, the Flints. Eventually, both of them would die. She wanted to be a teacher. She was gifted in writing, and she wanted to be a teacher, and she started teaching, and she was doing great. And one day she noticed her hand wasn't working quite right, and then the other hand not working quite right. And she went to the doctors, and the doctor said, you have the most awful form of rheumatoid arthritis and in a very short matter of time. She was a young woman at the time. In a very short matter of time, you'll be an invalid. And his words were true. I looked today. You can find her online, Annie Johnson Flint. I found a picture of her today sitting in her wheelchair, and I just looked at it. Because you'd think, here's a woman. She, she must have been an empty woman. She must, I mean, you know, she lost everybody she loved and lost her use of her limbs and on and on and on. No, actually, she was one of the fullest people you've ever met in your life. She wrote hundreds and hundreds of poems and songs. Let me get, read you part of my favorite one. It goes something like this. You might have heard it. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And my favorite verse of her song goes like this. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. And I can see Paul on his knees praying to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. When Annie was dying, they were giving her a shot to try to give her some relief and some help. And they asked her, do you have any last words? And the, her last words on this earth before she saw the face of Jesus were these words. It's all right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a woman that at glance at her life, you'd have said, it all went wrong. It all went wrong. No, no. When she left. She didn't leave with doubt. She left with certainty. It's all right. And I want to say tonight to the people of God, I know a lot of things wrong in this world, maybe a whole lot of things wrong in your life, but I want you to know in the Father's house, it's all right. And God has whatever you need. Because he's the God of all fullness. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.